close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brandon Storr. I'm Paul Bestall. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 142, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How are you, my well-tanned friend? <laughs> I'm, I'm one of the few people in Britain enjoying the heat wave. I think you are the only person in Britain enjoying the heat wave. <laughs> your, your partner posted a picture of you on Facebook where she had mist applying the sunscreen, <laughs> and you, you looked like a salmon. And yet, it did not hurt you, because apparently your superpower is just the sun. You're basically, you're <laughs> Superman, is who you are. <laughs> Yorkshire Superman. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I thought the best thing to do on, uh, on a really hot day was, was do the gardening. And so uh, I, was, I was convinced into having some uh, sunscreen applied. Unfortunately, it wasn't applied as liberally as it should have been. But uh, the bits of me that were applied were fine. And you said the, the, the burn was barely an issue anyways. No. You magnificent bastard. When I was a kid, I, my most enduring memory of my childhood is passing out from heat stroke <laughs> at uh, some kind of speedway in Kelowna. It's like arcades and might have been Scandi. I can't remember. Yeah. But it was arcades and, and they had go-karts. And I just remember this, the ground rushing up at me. It was this weird black and red patterned carpet, I think. Mm. And I remember waking up in a bath of ice in a hospital. Mm. Ever since then, I have been shit at handling the heat. So I, you know, I, when I was a kid, I spent most of my time out at night. Daytime, I would hunker down in the basement. And then as soon as the sun started to set, nightman cometh. <laughs> and that has kind of been my life ever since. My, the only times the thing that's ever gone wrong is when I forget that. <laughs> and, and I think, oh no, I'm a normal human. I can go out in the sun. No, no, you cannot, Brennan. Mm. Go back in the cave. Until the sun has set and your powers are at their peak. Mm. Mm. I would just like to point out, I always wear sunscreen as well. I'm not one of those. Because where I grew up, I remember my grandfather's generation, he, they, they used to have this thing where they put cooking oil on themselves. What? And You're just basting yourself <laughs> at that point. <laughs> like loads of old men sat in their shorts with smelling a chip fat. Strange breed here. It was a different, harder time. Well, that's all I can think. Well, on this episode, and now of course we're recording this well in advance. This is actually the furthest in advance we've ever recorded a show. I think we're recording this almost fully a month in advance. The future. It's right. We are in the future, which seems fitting because this episode, we are exploring tales of technological terror. Mm. We are revisiting the script from our episode, The Ghost in the Machine. As I mentioned before on episode 141. We put up a poll for patrons and we said, what episodes would you like to hear us from like what early Ghost Story Guys episodes would you like to hear us reinterpret? Which, which stories would you like to hear again? And the overwhelming winners were Death on the Road and Ghost in the Machine. So Death on the Road was 141. That was recorded. I'm not even going to try and remember where it was in the timeline, but it came out last episode. <laughs> and, <laughs> and now this is Ghost in the Machine. And I'm really looking forward to this one. Because I love stories of technology gone awry. I love, because it just, you know, I've said this before, we, te we depend on technology. Mm. So when it fucks with us, th there's this extra layer of discomfort because 
well, my, your phone knows everything about mm. you. So who's it telling? And I mean, the answer is Apple and Google, but who else? <laughs> so them. them, yeah, those guys again. But uh, yeah, so I'm very, very much looking forward to that. But before we get there, of course, I'd like to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you are the Skynet to our Sarah. Co- Wait, no, that's probably not great. <laughs> well, you get the idea. Without you, patrons, we would not be who we are. And while everyone who listens to the show helps make Ghost Story Guys what it is, our patrons are the ones who allow the show to continue. You guys help pay the bills, and without you, out there wouldn't be a Ghost Story Guys. Now, because we are recording this so far in advance, we don't have a list of patrons, so we just want to take this moment to thank every single person, past and present, who has ever supported us on Patreon. Uh, it means, again, it means the world to us. We are living a crazy dream where we get wonderful emails from people who tell us that our show has made a difference in their lives. And again, that happens because of you, our patrons. So thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our terrible hearts. And we'll have proper shoutouts on episode 143. So if you've signed up to the Patreon between, I would say, episode 140 and now, you will get your shoutout on episode 143 when I'm back from vacation. And uh, until then, we'll just say, if you want to join the team, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys, where for a dollar a month, you get an ad-free feed. And who doesn't want that? Ads suck. Again, that's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. Also, Paul, I was telling you that, um, obviously, you know, I went through that really bad patch there. Right. Where, like I just hit burnout speed and, and I mentioned on the last episode that, um, I tried listening to the calm history podcast because their host Harris had gotten in touch with us. And yeah. I, I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised cause I'd never really done ASMR before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it, I listened to the Jack, I mentioned, I'd listened to the Jackie Robinson episode when, um, you know, I was having a pretty particularly bad night. Then I decided to try Harris's other show, which is Sleep Whispers. And I got to say, if you're having a hard time falling asleep, mm. check out Sleep Whispers. It is just literally gentle whispering of bedtime stories, <laughs> guided relaxations. Uh, they do like a little bit of trivia sometimes, and sometimes they'll cover Wikipedia articles. But again, if you just, you want a very soft voice to lull you to sleep, and I'm not around, then <laughs> Sleep Whispers. Wow, that sounded gross. I'm appalled. I'm appalled. <laughs> but yeah, if you're looking for something to help you calm down, help you help you slow down, check out Sleep Whispers. It's everywhere you get your podcasts or at silkpodcasts.com. And I'll put a link in the show notes as well. One final thing. Bumper Music for Ghost Story Guys is composed and performed by Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is a project of composer and film journalist Jerry Smith, Jerry's based in Southern California, and if you'd like to hire him to compose music for your projects, shoot him an email at rainydaysforghosts at gmail.com. All right, Paul, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to challenge the gods by talking about technological failure. My favorite kind of trouble-inducing conversation. Just picture you shouting up at Olympus, calling (laughs) Zeus a coward. Again. Welcome back. So, as we said before the break, this episode is Ghost in the Machine Redux, 
So we're going to take a look at the script from episode number, I want to say 42, Ghost in the Machine, which is still one of my favorite lineups of stories just because it is so very much my jam, uh, you know, technology. And in keeping with that, I, I was actually roped recently into a, uh, a, a more recent technological mystery by Kev Eustace. And of course, Kev, I can't imagine you don't know, but he's the host of The Dark Paranormal. We need to talk about ghosts. He was a guest host here on episode, well, he's been here several times actually on the show. Uh, but um, Kev asked me if I had heard of Krungus. <laughs> now, are you familiar with Krungus, Paul? I am, primarily through Brett Manning. Oh, okay. So she's been talking about him. Yeah, and she's been doing her own. Oh, fantastic. Weird as well. So I'll, I, I didn't know I, that. It makes me chuckle because these are just really odd things. Yeah. So for our listeners who, who don't know, Krungus, well, it's a, it's a silly word, uh, but it's, it's a, it started as an experiment by this uh, Twitch streamer and voice actor named Guy Kelly. And he was, he was playing around with these AI art generators, which have become very popular recently. And uh, he tried Doll E Mini, which I think is now called Crayon or something like that. But he tried the word, he was trying different like fake words to see what happened. He tried Plumph, he tried Crudge, then he tried Krungus. And what was particularly unnerving about Krungus is that it was an actual thing. Like it looked like some kind of forgotten feral god roaming earth in the form of a man, or at least like its best impression of one. Like it was, it was genuinely gross and, and I'd never heard of it. And then I say, Kev asked me about it. So I was looking it up and I thought, well, that's terrifying. And it just so happened that this coincided with my being given an invite to a new AI generator called Midjourney. <laughs> and so I thought, well, this is fated to be. So I, I plugged Krungus into Midjourney. And what I got was, well, I mean, I, I'm going to include these images in the show notes because I just feel like. <laughs> it's impossible to fully describe exactly what it is that, um, you know, what it is that I saw. But, but I would say that it, it kind of looks like if Krang from the Ninja Turtles was operating a robot Garfield suit made of cancer. <laughs> I looked up what other people have done. And again, I've pasted them in the show notes and I'll put them in the, uh, or sorry, I've pasted them in the document so Paul can see them. And then I've, I'm going to put them in the show notes. <laughs> It looks like some kind of horrifying cat spider, <laughs> but it's always orange. I don't know what about Krungus. And I, of course, there must be something in, you know, in this sort of AI script or algorithm or whatever you want to call it that interprets sounds a certain way. So I don't know if Krung, Krungus, you know, there's an orange thing going on. Who fucking knows? But <laughs> it is really upsetting to look at. It, it is a nightmare made, made digital flesh. and. I know it was um, futurism.com. They were talking about it and they were joking that uh, maybe Krungus has always been among us. It's just <laughs> taken, it's taken, uh, you know, Dal E to, uh, to finally put a name to it. It's the new Slenderman. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like in Wes Craven's new nightmare, how it turns out that Freddy Krueger is actually just the avatar for some ancient evil. Well, mm. there hasn't been a nightmare on Elm Street movie in about a hundred years. Now Krungus is here to take up the slack. <laughs> Krungus Kruger. There's something here. I mean, they keep replacing real actors with computer-generated bullshit in those in the Star Wars series. So, you know, you told me there was a CG Krungus taking over Robert England's part. I believe you. <laughs> and the other thing I wanted to talk about, I came upon it while I was looking for video game glitches. Because there's nothing quite so 
gross and disturbing as when a video game that has otherwise been working very well suddenly goes wrong, you know, because you're, you're comfortable in the world. Things are, you know, what you expect. And then all of a sudden Mario's face is like inside out or something. And you're just, <laughs> and, and it's all you can see when you close your eyes for the next 30 years. Mm. And so I, I hunted around. There's nothing, I mean, there's lots of cool stuff, but it's all very visual, right? So me saying, and then it looked crazy weird. I thought, you know, we got away with that with Krungus. So I thought, <laughs> let's not push it. But I found this thing called the 11 mile game. Have you ever heard of this? No. So, okay, listeners, this has nothing to do with technology apart from the fact I use technology to find it. Uh, and I guess it involves a car, which is indeed also technology. Over on Weird Together, which is, of course, the live stream I do with Joseph Camo, one of the movies we talked about was We're All Going to the World's Fair, which is uh, sort of a horror drama in a way, but it's, it's about this young girl who decides to try out this legendary online game called The World's Fair. And um, basically, you know, you watch the spooky video and it's supposed to change you and people, they upload their own videos of how it changed them. And, and of course, it's all just, you know, like an experiment role playing, but she's young enough that she thinks maybe something is going to happen. And it, it's, I think this is a little bit like that, you know, where it, this is just a way to kind of shit each other up of a night, you know, oh, I tried the 11 mile game and I saw the Krungus. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm going to read you guys the start or the, the, the instructions for the 11 mile game. Now, uh, don't do this just in case, but if you do, Hey, tell us about it. Shoot us an email, ghostoryguys at gmail.com. <laughs> how, how, how much Krungus did your 11 mile game have? <laughs> tell us about your, your general level of Krungus. Here is the explanation. This is another game to get something you deeply wish for, but just like dry bones, the stakes are high to do this ritual slat. I don't know what the fuck dry bones is. To do this ritual slash game, you need a car or a motorcycle, basically something you can drive. You'd be extra ballsy to do this with a motorcycle, though, and a strong wish. Now, let's start with how to find 11 Mile Road. Keep in mind, this is a one-person game. No friends allowed. To find the road, you need to begin your drive at night, try to choose a late time where there's little to no drivers on the road, find a back road inside some dense woods. It has to be inside the forest, not outside or around it. I don't know if you ever watched Metalocalypse, Paul. Yes. Inside the ocean. <laughs> Not in the ocean, inside the ocean. <laughs> Once you're inside the woods, begin driving down the desolate roads until your intuition tells you you found 11 mile road. Keep your mind and eyes open. You'll know the road when you find it. That thinking is how I got lost in Cork. <laughs> now that you have found the road, you can begin driving down it right away or take a moment to stop the car and collect your thoughts. This is the only time during the drive, you can stop the car and or turn back. Choose wisely. If you've chosen to drive the road, before I go over what you can expect, here are some notes to keep in mind during the drive. Do not listen to music or turn on the radio at all. Do not open your doors or windows. Do not stop the car, especially to investigate anything you might hear or see inside the car or outside. Just keep going. Do not use a phone or any other device. And finally, do not drive faster than 30 miles per hour. This one is mainly a safety hazard for you in your car. Okay, now that we've gone over the warnings, here's what to expect now that you've begun your 11 mile drive. First mile, nothing much will happen. It may get cold. You can turn on the heat if it gets too cold. Keep driving. Second mile, same as the first mile, keep driving. Okay. Third mile, you'll begin to see movement around you. 
Don't take your eyes off the road. Ignore all movement. Keep driving. Fourth mile. Ignore any voices. Keep driving. Fifth mile. If the trees around you seem to start diminishing, you see a lake and or you see the bright glow of the moon. Don't stop driving. No matter how pretty and how random it may seem, keep driving. Sixth mile. The trees will return and the stars will disappear. You're back in the forest. Ignore the flickering of your headlights. Ignore whatever your radio tells you. Do not attempt to turn off the radio. Keep driving. Seventh mile. Keep ignoring the voices, even if they're coming from your back seat. Do not turn around. Keep driving. Eighth mile. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti. <laughs> I just wanted to make Paul laugh. <laughs> Serious, serious face. I'm leaving that in. Do not stop driving, no matter what. Even if your flickering headlights make it hard to see in front of you. Slow down, but do not stop driving. Don't stop for anything. No exceptions. Keep driving. Ninth mile. Your vehicle may stall. Close your eyes if your vehicle stops. Don't open them for any reason until your car starts. Once your car starts, slam on the gas and keep driving. Tenth mile. Don't look in your mirrors. Not even to look in your back seat. Keep driving. Eleventh mile. Your vehicle will stall again in front of a red light. Do not look at it. Close your eyes. Cover your ears. Whatever you have to do. Just don't open your eyes until your vehicle starts again. Ignore the voices. Ignore whatever is grabbing you. Ignore everything, no matter what. Once your car restarts, keep driving a little further. A little, Jesus. You're driving a lot faster than that. <laughs> Continue driving further until you reach the dead end up ahead. Here is where you make your wish. Don't just wish for it. Envision it. Imagine it's with you now. If you wish for something small enough to fit in your pocket, check there. If you wish for something bigger, check your back seat or your trunk. If you wish for something that isn't material, then go back home and wait. It'll come to you very soon. But is there a price? And was it worth it? If you can live with a major PTSD and whatever else follows you from your journey, then you can live happily with your newly gained wish, or you can gladly go down 11 Mile Road again. Boom! I just planned your Friday night listeners. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. That sounds real stupid. I mean, driving <laughs> at night is fun and nothing's going to happen, obviously. But um, actually, it might be a fun way to spook yourselves if. Uh, I don't know. It, it seems like the kind of game you want to play with people, though, Paul. Mm. Yes. We used to just drive around dark country roads with no lights on. <laughs> Rolling ghost. Yeah. Plus, we had a haunted road where we lived, so we just used to drive up and down that. In our day, we didn't need no internet games to scare the shit out of ourselves <laughs> on the road. We just did unsafe things and went to places that already had ghosts. Yeah. I had a friend of mine who used to like driving through farmer's fields at two in the morning with his lights off. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that was fun. You ever crashed into a hay bale at three in the morning? I have never done that at any time of day. Yeah, they're harder than they look. I don't. They look pretty solid to me. <laughs> was this this hypothetical person able to uh, escape with the car intact? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ! I was shocked because here you can't turn off your well with the car I had at least. 
you couldn't turn off your headlights. You could mm-hmm. turn them down, but once it sensed that it was dark, your headlights just came on. Yeah. And I remember being on a road trip down in the States with my friend Mike. Hi, Mike. And I found, I realized you could just turn your headlights off. And I thought, what madness is this? You can turn your headlights off. <laughs> just rolling through the desert with absolutely no light whatsoever. This is a, an urban legend just waiting to happen. Yeah. I think they're designed for those kinds of people who think seatbelts are a distraction. Right. Sure. Sure. It's, it's the man keeping you down. <laughs> it's them. There they are again. They're busy, those guys. And now, on with the stories. Bad Spirits My friend is in a long-distance relationship with a girl named An who lives in Hong Kong. Recently, he was on the phone with her and he heard a story that creeped me right out. The day before, she had taken a phone call from a man who said he was a friend of her father and wished to speak to him. Her father wasn't home at the time, so she took down his name and the number on the call display and said she would give him the message as soon as possible. It slipped On's mind until she was sitting at the dining table with her parents. When she told them the name and phone number, both her parents looked at each other strangely. Her father asked if she was certain that this person called and left this number. She confirmed that it was and asked why they were acting so unusually. Her mother told her that this friend of her father's had passed away half a year ago, and his number, this number, had been disconnected shortly after. Even so, her father insisted on calling the number back to find out who it really was, and, of course, the line was still disconnected. None of them spoke a word about it after that, and so Ann called her boyfriend, my roommate here in Canada, to tell him. My buddy thought she was pulling his leg, so he laughed it off, of course he did, and said something to the effect of the afterlife being so boring her dad's friend had started making calls to keep busy. What a dick. As soon as he said it, there was a big bang on the wall and static on the phone line. Over the static, there was a deep voice, so loud I could hear it next to him, that said, Who are you? When the connection came back, An said she hadn't heard anything, as she'd been briefly cut off. They quickly ended their conversation, and I went to bed. I didn't want to be involved with bad spirits. My friend got sick the next day, and we never brought it up again. And, you know, I love that kind of shit. Phone calls from the dead, phone calls coming from places they can't possibly come from. But before we talk about any of that stuff, you've got some something going on in your apartment right now. Yes. I'm not sure what's happening. We, we noticed it sort of about 10 days ago that um, we've got a cutlery set that's quite distinctive and one of the knives is missing, which we thought, well, oh. it's, it's a bit peculiar. Doesn't look like anything, any of the other knives we own or anything. And it's just a set and, and one of them's gone. So we've checked everywhere, can't find it. So we just thought, well, that's a bit frustrating. It's a bit strange, but it's frustrating. However, a couple of days ago, I noticed that there was like three forks now missing. Oh. And we've no idea where they've gone. They've just vanished. That's bizarre. That's, yeah, because that, I mean, I was going to say, it can't be the cats, you know? It's not like there's a raccoon sneaking into the house and squirreling away your cookery. Yeah, we've had no visitors. We don't take cutlery out of the house. We eat at the table. We put the plates by the side of the sink. There's nowhere for it to disappear to. It can't fall down the sink. The plug hole's not big enough. Huh. So it's, it's a real head scratcher, as Jim would say. And sorry, when did you say that started? About two weeks ago. And you were telling me you've, you've had some pretty wacky dreams lately. <laughs> yes. I wonder if you got, uh, got some company. 
Well, you never know. I don't often dream that my partner turns into a vampire and kills me, but um, <laughs> you know, I'm, anything could happen these days. So I'm, I'm not sure. Very strange. We had a, uh, the, the smoke smell returned again the other day. Oh, yeah. Really quite pungent for a while and then just dissipated as usual. And then this weird thing with the cutleries started happening. Um, I know Julie was saying she was in the bathroom the other day and one of the plants just threw itself off the side as well. Oh, Jesus. Talk about burying the lead. That seems relevant. <laughs> yeah. We've got a big aloe vera plant in the bathroom and it just jumped off the side it's on. Holy shit, dude. Yeah, it's happened twice since. Has, have you covered anything on Mysteries and Monsters lately that you think might have attracted attention? Um, I mean, I was talking about the Fae again recently. Okay. But, there um, it is. <laughs> who knows? It's odd. It, it does seem to be the last sort of three or four weeks, strange little things are happening. I mean, a plant falling over is nothing. You know, it could, could be could be gravity. I mean, it's a pretty hefty plant with big leaves. If you anybody knows what an aloe vera plant looks like, they're quite chunky and do have a bit of weight to them. But it's in a good pot. It's on a flat surface. Well, and to say it jumped off the jumped off a surface like that's a very specific. Yeah, Julie was in the bathroom, and then it just the next thing she just saw it come off. It just went. Yeah, that doesn't sound like gravity to me. I mean, like oh, I guess gravity was the ultimate culprit. You know. <laughs> so yes, watch this space. No kidding. So it, it sounds like you've got something ha hanging out in the house, and it sounds like it's picking up steam. Yeah. I'm not, as long as it brings the cutlery back, I'm not bothered. <laughs> yeah, fair. I wonder if you'll find it stashed away somewhere bizarre. Mm. You know, under, under the sofa or, or something like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Very little surprises me. So, yes. As long as I don't wake up with it in bed with me or something. <laughs> yeah, or, or embedded into you. <laughs> <laughs> and just briefly, I want to I want to touch back on the story because we have a lot of stories, so I don't want to dwell too long on any one of them. But have you ever had any kind of experience like that, where the where technology just seems to misbehave, and 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 as you say, you know, you, you get a call from someone that you know that number is not connected or anything like that. I've never had an issue with with a, a telephone call, but. We once had a very odd incident with a CD player, which dates this okay. story. So this is when I was living with Richard and Jamie in the 90s. And we were once sat around on, our, on my PlayStation playing Wipeout, one of the greatest games ever made. And um, all of a sudden, the CD, just, CD player came on and started playing music, which, nothing too surprising, but it started on track 10. Oh. So... We checked it after we'd sort of gone, ooh. <laughs> so we checked it and it was, it was obviously plugged in. So we thought, well, maybe it's a power surge or something. So we unplugged it, plugged it back in, set the CD off, started at track one, paused it, stopped it, reset it, started at track one. There was nothing we could do that could get it to start on track 10 at all. Really? Mm. Interesting. Mm. That actually reminded me of an experience a friend of mine had. She grew up in a little town in Newfoundland called Stephenville. Mm. And I remember her saying to me that they lived near something called the base. Now, there is an abandoned military base in Stephenville. I don't know if that's what she was referring to, if she was referring to a, hous a housing project or maybe a housing project near that base. I don't know. But it's called the Ernest Harmon Air Force Base. If you ever wanted to see pictures of it, it's all 
Again, I don't know if it's still there, but it looks cool. The pictures they have. Mm. But she would have the same thing. Her stereo would turn on at weird times, but I believe for her, it would always be set to static. Mm. And I had that happen as well. I went to a check to do a hotel room once and I got there like midnight, one in the morning. And I, as I was walking down the hall, I could hear this weird noise. And I got to my, ho- my door and I realized I can hear white noise. And the alarm clock inside had somehow been turned on, but the radio was just set to in between stations. <laughs> and I don't think it's a coincidence. I mean, or who, it might be who fucking knows, but I got really sick on that trip. It's one of the few trips to Revelstoke where I actually got physically ill. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, it all, I think it all started with that, that hotel room. I mean, it could have just been that someone really sick was in there sneezing on shit before I got there, but it was, uh, it was an auspicious start to hear a, an untuned radio just blasting away in your hotel room to be at midnight one in the morning. Hmm. I wonder what it is that makes that static noise so disconcerting. I do wonder that. I do. I don't know. Is it the pitch or the frequency, do you think? Yeah, it's a great question because I, I actually don't mind pink noise, but I find white noise to be very, um, yeah, something about it bothers me. Mm. Mind you, I think any unexpected sound at midnight is, uh, is not particularly welcome. Like I remember one time I was laying in bed and I heard, I assume was one of the horse-drawn carriages that go around the neighborhood outside my room because- I was laying there in bed and I heard a horse neigh, you know, or like a whinny, I guess. You hear a horse whinny at, at, at noontime? Oh, how delightful. You hear a horse whinny after midnight? Well, Christopher Walken has come from my head. <laughs> the ring. I can't specifically say how long this has been going on, but I do know that I'm the only person to hear it. Oftentimes I will be sat watching TV or working on my laptop and out of nowhere, I'll suddenly hear a very old-fashioned phone ringing. I know it's old-fashioned because it sounds exactly like one of those old rotary dial phones we used to own. You know the ones with the curly cords and the very specific ringing sound that you could slam down in anger to cut the call? Sounds like one of those. No one else in the house, including the cat, has heard it. I even made a point to mute the TV volume once while I was hearing it, and said, Can you hear that? Nope. Nothing. Nada. Zilch. No one could hear it except me. What gives? It doesn't sound close, and it doesn't sound as if it's in the house. It sounds as if it's coming from somewhere, but I don't know where. The walls are not so thin that you could hear the neighbor's phone ringing. The neighbor on the other side doesn't even own a phone for one to be able to ring. And obviously... A house phone wouldn't be outside, so I'm perplexed as to where this sound is originating from, and why I'm the only person able to hear it. My only two guesses are as follows, that I'm hearing something residual replaying itself in a loop, like a broken record, except it only happens when the conditions for said residual energy to play are correct. Or secondly, that I'm hearing it ringing from another timeline or alternate universe, which seems a little far-fetched. I'm stumped. Now, I, I know the plan had been that we don't talk about the shorts, and I, I'm going to keep this brief, but I desperately need to know how he confirmed that the cat has never heard it. <laughs> that was the first thing I thought. <laughs> He's just got fluffy braced under the hot lamp. Talk, you son of a bitch. Have you heard the phone? <laughs> don't give me that. You bastard. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I just, I thought, no, I, I, I must know. 
And the other thing that occurred to me is, you know, I'm sure whoever this is thought about this, but um, there was a story from Revelstoke when I was uh, researching Strange that was about bagpipes, these phantom bagpipes people would hear. Mm. And it's because the man who used to live in this house played bagpipes and he died playing bagpipes, possibly killed by playing the bagpipes. <laughs> I was going to say, if that one of his neighbors probably did him in. <laughs> Funny you say that because I had this great story all written up for the book and it's actually going to go in the second edition that's coming out uh, whenever it's coming out because it's just, it's a great story. But <laughs> I went to go interview the neighbor who was a business partner with my grandfather. He's lived in that house for a hundred years. And he, he said to me, you know why people say the bagpipes, right? I said, no, why? He says, my wife, she plays the bagpipes. She just, she doesn't go outside because it's, it's an awful sound. So she plays in the house when I'm at work. So, but somehow this legend has cropped up that it's a ghost playing the bagpipes. It's just my goddamn <laughs> wife. And finally, this is basically the plot to the black phone, what this guy, what this guy is describing here. And uh, that is really great. So check out the black phone. This is not a paid advertisement. I just liked it. But uh, yeah, I think it's on VOD now. So it is a good horror movie. The wrong number. Earlier today, I called home and an unknown voice answered. It sounded like an older lady. She said, hello. And when I asked who I was speaking with, thinking I had dialed the wrong number, she ignored me. The woman said, hello, again, and despite my saying the same thing back to her, seemed not to hear me. I hung up and, convinced I had called the wrong number, redialed my home number. The line was busy. When I called a third time, the call immediately went to voicemail. A call to my wife's cell confirmed that she was out, so that was another possibility rolled away. I explained what had happened, and she was so spooked that someone may be in our place, she went right home to check on the house. There was no one there when she got there, but that entire conversation, including the strange woman's voice, was recorded on the answering machine. We were more than a little creeped out. Oscar. A few years ago, on October the 15th, I and two friends drove to Boise. Oh, God, and Bennett. <laughs> a few years ago, on October the 15th, I and two friends drove to Boise, Idaho, so I could have open heart surgery. Specifically, my arteries were 90% clogged and I needed to have four bypasses done. When we arrived in Boise, we found a motel and checked in. My mother and brother were due to arrive in Boise at some point, but we didn't know quite when, so we took our bags to the room. We had been there for less than 20 minutes when the phone rang and my care provider answered it. As she listened, a funny look came over her face and she said the phone was for me. Now. We had chosen that motel at random and hadn't told anyone where it was yet, so there was no way anyone could have known where we were, but I took the phone anyways. At the other end of the line was a male Latino sounding voice, and they again asked for me. When I confirmed who it was, the voice said, Don't have your surgery tomorrow, it's not your turn to die. I was floored, but managed to ask, Who is this? The voice replied, Oscar. The only person I have ever known by that name was a former co-worker of mine. We worked together at the factory, and he would always stop by to chat when he was on shift. That Oscar had died of cancer the year before. Where are you at? I asked the voice. I am in between heaven and earth, it responded. Then it again told me not to have my surgery, and the connection went dead. Immediately, I called my brother, 
who had also worked with Oscar, and he thought I should take the call seriously. We discussed it over dinner that night, and decided we should raise my concerns with the doctor, but in a roundabout way so he wouldn't know why I was concerned in the first place. The next morning, we went to the hospital just before we were due at 6am, and they started prepping me for surgery. I asked to see my doctor, and was told he would be there in a few minutes. A few minutes later, I looked through my door, and I could see him pacing in tight circles just outside. Finally, he came in and said my surgery would be postponed for a week, and that the department head would be in to explain everything. According to the department head, who arrived shortly after this, the surgeon who had been scheduled to perform my surgery had lost his last three patients, and they had decided to pull him from the roster. The department head said he would be performing my surgery himself the following week, and apologised for the inconvenience. A week later, my surgery was performed without any complications, and I have been healthy since. I don't know how, but Oscar had been looking out for me. I gotta say, I do have this sort of fear, and this has got nothing to do with technology, but I do have a fear of, you know, going to see a doctor, and because you assume, right? You assume the doctor knows what he's doing, you assume the doctor's on top of his shit, uh, but then, you know, most of the doctors I know are actually kind of fucked up. So, you know, it, it kind of fills me with this this persistent dread that uh, one day, you know, you're going to have to go for surgery and, and you just don't know if the guy's on his third divorce. I mean, that, that actually happened to Nikki. She, she had a kidney stone about five, six years ago, um, longer now, I guess, but mm. her urologist was a guy, we, we Googled him after we went to go see him because he just seemed like a dick. And it turned out he was just finishing his last couple months before he was going to be suspended for a year because he had taken a photo of a patient's genitals during a procedure and sent it to a group chat with like a jokey caption. And I, I don't know ex what circumstances were exactly, but someone in the group chat narked on him as they should have. And so he had his license suspended. So we were just kind of catching him in the, you know, cause it, 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 he's going to be a really attentive doctor in the last three months before he's being laid off for a year. Mm. And, uh, it, yeah, I just really put it in my head. And ever since then I've had this thought like, oh man, what if, what if you get the schmuck surgeon? Yeah. There was a, a famous case over here recently where uh, the surgeon's been struck off after it was found he was uh, laser burning initials inside patients' bodies. Good Lord. Now, you know, there's like a lot of jokes about how, you know, surgeons and doctors, some of them guys get into it because they love playing God. There was a whole David Duchovny film titled that for that reason. <laughs> but that's, that's almost, that's almost comically literal. Mm-hmm. Burning his initials inside patients. That, that's demented. Yep. On the subject of the phone call, I, I remember hearing a story, and I can't remember where I heard it, but it might, it might have actually been in Phone Calls from the Dead by uh, D. Scott Rogo. I can't remember. But there was this woman got a call from, it was her eldest brother's friend, mm. Joe. Supposedly he died of a heart attack. And then one night they got a phone call from someone who sounded exactly like Joe asking for her brother. Mm. And the brother wasn't in. So, you know, she, she told him that. And this voice who sounded like Joe, he just kept saying, something strange is going on. Mm. Something strange is going on. And finally, when the brother wasn't in, he just hung up and, and that was it. But the call display said out of area. Oh. And that was it. There's a very famous one about a strange phone call from the infamous Flight 401. And now for our listeners who don't know, can you just uh, briefly give a background around 401? So Flight 401 was an internal flight from New York to Miami 
that took off in December 1971, I think. Okay. And some reason there was a problem with the landing gear as they were approaching Miami and they couldn't work out what the problem was. The the plane was telling them the wheels weren't down. Whilst all this kerfuffle was going on, one of the cabin crew went into the nose plane to check the nose cone to check that the wheels were down because you can actually have a look and see in there and make sure that it was going off. And whilst that was happening, where he was sat, the alarm that sounded that the autopilot had been knocked off went off, but it was too quiet for the two pilots to hear. So they didn't know that the autopilot had been turned off by accident. And while all this kerfuffle was going on, they didn't realize that they dropped several hundred feet. And as they banked to turn to approach Miami, they didn't realize that they were literally just above the Everglades. And as they banked, the wing crashed into the Everglades and the plane went skedaddling all across there. It was about half 11 at night, December, Everglades. It's a swamp. Sure. And there was 170 odd people on it. The most remarkable thing about all that was that how many people actually survived the crash? Really? People survived? Yeah, there was about 75, I think. There was a considerable amount of people that survived, including one man who was found strapped to his chair and all his clothes had been blown off by the force (laughs) of the landing. And the only thing that remained around him was the elastic in his socks and his boxer shorts. The rest of his clothes had been completely ripped off him, along with all the material from the chair behind him. He was sat on the frame of the chair. Wow. Still in his seatbelt. He survived. Well, I mean, physically. I don't know me- how much of me yeah. would be left mentally after that. But anyway, the, the chap that went into the nose cone to check the wheels was a guy called Don Repo. And a year before the accident, his wife got a telephone call at home from a man that said, Don's been killed in a plane crash. I'm terribly sorry. And then three hours later, he arrived home. And they never found out where the call had come from. They, they first thought it was perhaps a sick practical joke, but they never understood right. it or got to the bottom of who would do it, why would anybody do it, and they just shrugged it off till a year later when he was killed in the plane crash. Jesus Christ. And that's not even the scariest thing about all that. That's where it all begins from that point on. That's where it begins. <laughs> yep. Haunted planes. Oh, is this one of those situations where parts were repurposed? That is Flight 401. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Wow. You know, stuff like that, it, it makes me wonder about things like time travelers, mm. you know, you know, if, if maybe it's just impossible to, to stop anything, you know, like mm. we've got the sort of idea that time travelers, you know, it doesn't exist because, you know, we would have seen them by now, but you wonder, you know, maybe there's just no way, maybe you can't, maybe you can't make that change. Maybe somewhere out there, Scott Bakula is just bashing his head against the wall in frustration because no matter how many quantum leaps he makes. He just can't do jack shit to change mm. what is. Absolutely. I think if you sit down sometimes and you consider choices you've made in, the, in your past, often you will realize that your life has taken a very radical turn. Yeah. I mean, do you, like as a result of anything in particular, you mean? or Well, just in general, I know I, there are certain points of my life that if I hadn't done certain things at certain times, who knows where I'd be. Yeah. And I think yeah, most maybe. people, when you, when you sit down and think about it properly, I think most people make a decision where they, they decide not to take a job or not to move somewhere or, or not to get engaged or get married to a specific person or something happens in their life that 
when they look back that their entire future would be entirely different, I think. And I think it happens to more people than many talk about, really. So you, you think there's an element of intuition at work there? I think there's a bit of both. I think there's a bit of predestiny and a bit of intuition. I do wonder about the notion of predestiny, you know, because I, I, a while back I was at work, uh, I was at that co-working space that I go to, and mm. I, I went there quite late and I ended up talking to this, I think he was a software engineer or something. I actually can't even remember his fucking name now. But we talked for like two and a half hours because we were the only people in this office. And one of the things we were talking about is this notion of time breaking down. You know, this notion that, uh, you know, what sometimes, you know, as I've suggested, when you see a figure crossing the same road over and over, it's because, you know, the, we're actually seeing him do it 20 years in the past. Mm. But the thing this guy said, and it's a really interesting point, he said, you know, you're actually because of you know the fact the earth is orbiting you're never actually in the same space no so that doesn't necessarily hold up this notion that you're looking 20 years into the past because in actual fact 20 years in the past is also you know a great distance back the other way mm -hmm. and we were talking about that in the notion of like well unless there's sort of like this this like universe as lucite brick theory right where everything has kind of already happened mm-hmm and so it doesn't matter where it is, like technically in terms of time, you're sort of like wormholing back to that place. It's kind of hard to get my head around, but yeah, it's sort of, it kind of, in a way, kind of bank shot explains some of those things we've talked about, but it's, it's a very kind of complex notion. Yes. Our fates are unavoidably destined for some people, it would seem. Yeah. Yeah. This is a deep, dark motherfuck. We should probably move on to the next story. Yes. Let's lighten the mood. <laughs> Who hung up? About a year or two ago, my friend Sally came over to my house. She was staying at my house for a bit until her parents came home. She was there for about two hours when she decided that her parents might be home and called to check. When she called, someone or something answered the phone, breathed into it, and then hung up. Her parents were still not home because we tried calling again and this time no one picked up. When her parents were home, they called my house and we went over to hers. My friend remembered the time and asked her parents if they had been home then. They said they weren't, they were still out. It freaked me out, so I told my dad about what happened, that no one was home except the pets. He told me that it could have just been one of her pets, but I said that's impossible because pets could not have picked up the phone, pressed talk, breathed into the phone, and then put it back on the hook. What a stupid thing to even suggest, Dad, come on. We know that the phone was put back on the hook because we also asked my friend's parents about it, and they said it was in the right place when they got home. It really freaked me out because I'd never have had that happen before, unlike my friend who has regularly experienced ghosts or paranormal things. It's always a man. Once again, it's men, isn't it? Every fucking well, clearly time. The, uh, clearly the dog answered the phone. Yeah. What? Well, so why didn't I think <laughs> of that? The fuck are you talking about? <laughs> You're okay. I'm okay. We're okay. About three years ago, I suffered pain from the sudden loss of one of my closest friends, Johnny. To this day, the cause of death is unknown to me. I assume the family knows, but I respect their will to keep it private. But he was discovered at his home on a Monday, mid-September. This was extremely hard for me, as we were inseparable, even working for the same company. A few days prior to him being found, I had attempted to reach him. Calls, texts, emails, Facebook, you name it. No response. I assumed he was maybe busy or simply went away for a few days, 
but since he was not at work and hadn't told me, I of course got worried. I tried not to let my worries get the best of me, but after a few days of no contact, I reached out to several people for info. No one had heard from him. He lived alone. Police headed to his home shortly before I finally decided enough was enough and drove there myself. I got the news when I arrived. You can all imagine the amount of guilt I felt. Why didn't I go to his home sooner? On or around October the 1st, I had a very interesting dream. I was in a forest with Johnny, frantically trying to find a way out since I felt I was late for something or had somewhere to be. Johnny kept repeating one phrase to me, You're okay? I'm okay. We're okay. I keep my cell phone on my nightstand as I also use the alarm feature. My phone at that time was still fairly new with no signs of wear or usage problems. It was, however, a flip phone. All of us know that you cannot place a call without the cell phone being flipped open, right? This is where it got interesting. About 5am, I woke up to the sound of a phone dialing a phone number, and then of course the ringing, waiting for the other line to pick up. This was odd to me, so I grabbed my phone to see, and my phone had selected, out of the 100 or so contacts, Johnny. I grabbed my phone while it was still flipped closed, and the other end still ringing, and I flipped it open and put it to my ear. The ringing stopped, as if someone had answered it, but no one spoke. I said hello? Johnny? Nothing. I of course burst into tears and sat up in bed thinking of my friend. And again, this was meant to be a short one we didn't talk, and we're not going to go into a whole Brendan Paul feel-good special on this one, but <laughs> I will say for anyone who's, who's suffered, who's been through this pain where you've lost someone like this and you thought, what could I have done? The answer is nothing. You can, you can offer options and you can offer love and support, but in the end, the, the choice is down to them. So you can't, you can't blame yourself. It's very true. And very true. Sadly, it's a, a tragic incident, especially when it comes to people taking their own life. It's a conversation I've had too many times over the years with other friends. And it's always the same. I've said it before. Doesn't matter. Because people, people always say, well, what if I'd done this? And what if I'd done that? Doesn't matter. Sadly. The girl who laughs. This happened when my sister was admitted to the hospital and I was left alone at home. It was my first time being alone for the night in the house. My parents had to accompany my sister to the hospital, but they didn't want me to go with them because I had exams the following day. My night in the house was okay, except for the fact that I kept worrying about my sister. That and when you're alone in the night, you can't help your mind getting away from you. It didn't help that way back when we still had our maid, she told me that during the wee hours of the morning, someone would twist the knob of her room, which was now my room, like they were trying to get in. Because of this, she always kept the door locked. She had also told me stories about hearing things in the kitchen being moved, whenever she's already in bed and about to sleep. My uncle, who also spent time in our house, saw people who were not meant to be there. Given all this, it wasn't hard for my imagination to be excited. I am a sleep paralysis prone person, and don't know if that has anything to do with the house or not. Whatever the reason, the night my parents were away with my sister, I was experiencing a sleep paralysis event when I heard a girl's voice laughing from the side of my bed. That scared the shit out of me, because it was the first time it felt like something, or someone, was in my room while I was suffering through sleep paralysis. The following day while in the hospital visiting my sister, my father asked whether our neighbor had slept over the night before. When I told him that I managed to be home by myself, he got confused. 
and said that when he had called earlier, I answered my phone, but never spoke, and he heard a girl laughing in the background. He assumed I had answered by mistake and that the laughing girl was our neighbor. I didn't even know that he'd called, but when I checked my phone, there was a received call from him during a time when I was certain I was still asleep. It's unlikely that I could have accidentally answered it too, because when I sleep, my phone is a meter away from my bed. My dad, realizing that I really had been alone, accompanied me home afterwards. That has to be one of the worst feelings. When you think to yourself, boy, howdy, I had a really terrifying goddamn dream. Boy, am I glad am I awake. And someone walks in and goes, hey, uh, did I just hear some kind of living nightmare happen? And you are forced to confront the fact that, nope, nope, this was not a dream. And now you have to make room for that in your world. Absolutely. No, it's not good. It's never good when you think you're the only person experiencing something and then it's validated. And then it's not a dream, is it? I think one of the most powerful things I have been able to do in my life, Paul, is to just learn to shrug my shoulders and go, well, sure. Okay. Because it, 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 you just trying to control the world, which I think is a lot of what this is, right? A lot of people kind of get under this like, yeah. no, I'm, you know, it's not real. It can't be real. I'm, I'm, I'm in control. I'm like, ah, eh, eh, you know, and believe me, I'm a control freak. I get it. But after a while, you just can't. We can't all be like the judge in fucking Blood Meridian, you know, it's certain that nothing may exist without our first giving it permission. And after a while, someone tells you, you know, I saw Bigfoot. Sure. Cool. You see Bigfoot. Yeah, sure. Okay, fine. Fuck it. The, the immense power of the words fuck it cannot be communicated in mere language. <laughs> Their power transcends the human voice. It is a force of nature. My shoulders rising up to go, fuck it. It moves mountains. Nothing can shock me anymore. There's a sea monster. Sure. Fuck it. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like a more realistic Hakuna Matata. Cause Hakuna Matata is bullshit. Hakuna Matata is like, oh, well, let's just pretend like nothing's wrong. No, something's wrong. Something's always wrong. Come on. Come on. Look <laughs> at me, Paul. Something's always wrong. But fuck it. This is my superpower. At least the one I can talk about on the show. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Five essays. My father's office has always felt off. It smells weird, has varying temperatures, and is just overall a weird place to be. But it's also a quiet place to work. And one day, I was home alone, working on five essays I needed to finish by the end of the next day. The joys of college. I had just about finished off my analysis of Paul Revere's account of the Boston Massacre when the home phone rings. It was a bit of a shock, as I thought it was dead. But the caller ID said Mom, so I picked it up. Mom said hello, we exchanged pleasantries, and then out of the blue, she asked me to go to the garage. I was a little confused, because we never went into the garage for anything except storage. But I stood, and was about to comply, when the call cut out before Mum could tell me exactly what I was going to the garage for. I don't know exactly why, but I freaked out and ran upstairs and into my bed because I felt safe there. Once, under the covers, common sense took back over and it occurred to me that maybe Mom's phone had died during the call. Even so, I stayed in my bed until my mom came home and when she did, I apologised and then asked her why she wanted me to go to the garage in the first place. She looked at me like I was crazy and said she'd never told me to do anything. Besides, she said, 
She'd left her phone at home anyways. You know what? We found it in the garage, on a shelf at least one foot higher than my mum can reach. What even happened? Who called me who sounded like my mum? Why did they want me to go into the garage? It still freaks me out. As well it should. If that happened to me, Paul, I would have the entire story tattooed on my thigh like the guy from Memento. <laughs> Can you of imagine? You could... <laughs> well, I, I take that story quite positively, actually. I have to hear this. I cannot possibly imagine in what version of the world that is a good thing. I think perhaps that her, that the author's mum was thinking about the fact that she'd left her phone in the garage and willed it so much that the phone called to request them to go and find it. That is a remarkably optimistic turn from you. I am, I am <laughs> shocked. In no way do I believe that that's some kind of paranormal trap. No, not at all. <laughs> the likes of which are probably awaiting for me the next time I turn my back. No, that's, <laughs> holy shit, that, that's, that's, that's move, that's burn down the house and move territory, is what that is. Playtime. This happened when I was about five or six years old. My sister and I were in our bedroom one night, and I was playing with a toy phone, just a little plastic thing. I said hello into the receiver, and clearly heard a man's voice say hello, right back to me, right in my ear. The voice wasn't creepy or ghostly, it sounded like the normal friendly way an adult would say hello to a little kid, but I was still terrified and ran to tell my parents. Honestly, I can't remember what they said after that, but it was probably something reassuring. Christ, I hope so. As I got older, I kept trying to tell myself that it was just the normal active imagination of a kindergartner. Even though my imagination had always been about playing pretend with dolls or toys or friends or whatever, I had always been fully aware I was just playing, as opposed to seeing or hearing things that weren't there. 55 years later, I can still hear that voice in my mind. It didn't sound like anyone I knew, and I never heard a voice on that telephone again. Come to think of it, I was so spooked I probably never played with that phone again. That's always been one of my favorite stories of this episode, that. Oh, really? That one there? Yeah. Tell me, what, why is it your favorite? I just love the fact that two kids are just playing about and mucking about with a toy phone and go, hello. And somebody goes, hello. <laughs> 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 Brilliant. Monsters Incorporated just got another watt of power out of that one. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those stories where I make up the voice in my mind. Is that what it sounds like? It kind of sounds like like uh like the pokeroo. Hello. That works. That reminds me of this time I was in a, a restaurant down in somewhere in Southern California in the desert. And I, I said to the waitress, who is this, you know, older lady, she came over and she brought me something. I said, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And she got, I kid you not, dude, right up in my face. Like, like considering what we know now about aerosols, I mean, we have always known this, but what everyone now generally knows about aerosols, this was an act of war is how close she was to my face. And she said, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, that's Elvis. Yeah. And I thought, what the fuck just happened? And I finish my huevos rancheros and get the fuck out of here before I end up sitting in a bed with someone sledgehammering my ankles. <laughs> Auntie. For years since I moved into the house where both my grandparents and aunt lived and died, strange electrical things would happen with lights flickering and the kitchen timer going off. And just as I was about to write them off, I had a baby and more strange things happened. 
The Elmo toy vacuum would go off with no pets near it. And as I'm typing this, the new potty that does a song when you close the lid just went off. But I'm used to it. I was asleep, and a soap came off a dry dish, and I swore a small jewellery box fell off the dresser. When my daughter played with her toy hammer, the handle of the credenza moved and clicked. Most of these things I disregarded, but in the last month, right after my aunt's picture fell off the library shelf, the babysitter told me on two separate Thursdays that the TV went on upstairs around noon. The second time, she asked Oliver the cat to come down and it turned off. After that first incident, two days later, on Saturday at 2.30am, the TV came on. I turned it off by the remote and fell back asleep. It has since come on four more times, always at the same time, 2.30 in the morning, and either Thursday, Saturday or Sunday, and always Channel 5. Even though I had watched and turned it off, whilst on different channels. Oh, and I forgot the big part. The last two times, I asked whoever to turn it off, and it did. I noticed that the shows that were coming on were my aunt's favourites, Oprah and Matlock, as she did not have cable. I am somewhat afraid to be alone, but knowing it's a family and not an evil entity calms me down. I think I am more freaked out now knowing that I was communicating by telling her to turn it off. All right. So the whole plan about not talking about the shorts is just out the window <laughs> because we had, we didn't talk about it on air, but we're going to talk about it now. By God, earlier I asked, I, we, for some, we were talking about empire records, the movie empire records. Cause I saw it for the first time on Sunday and then have immediately watched it twice more. Cause it's just a happy movie. It's just, it's like taking Xanax with your eyes. It's just a nice place to be. <laughs> but after that, I had intended to ask you, because that movie came out when I was 12. I didn't see it back then, but it had uh, in it my childhood crush, who was Liv Tyler. Because when I was a kid, I watched a lot of much music growing up, a lot of music television, and the, the video for Aerosmith's Crazy, which she is in with Alicia Silverstone, that played constantly. So mm -hmm. Liv Tyler was my, was my childhood crush. And I was going to ask you who yours was. And for whatever reason, I didn't get around to it, didn't think of it, just went out of my head. We were talking about other things. And then mm -hmm. moments later, you volunteered that information. Yeah. <laughs> Apropos of nothing, you volunteered that information. Mm. Care to share who, who it was? It is the marvelous Caroline Monroe, horror actress extraordinaire and presenter of the Cellar Club here in the UK. So we had one moment of like kind of funny synchronicity. Okay, fine. File it away. Well, I shit you not, as you were reading that story, I was browsing my social media, and as you said, Elmo, I scrolled down, and my friend Lisa had posted a meme about Tickle Me Elmo. I literally read the word Elmo in that meme as you said Elmo. <laughs> the great architect is just having fun with us now, Paul. They're just fucking with us. Good. <laughs> well, as long as someone's having fun, right? That's the important thing. <laughs> I just let it wash over me like a cosmic shower of madness. Up go the shoulders. Fuck it. <laughs> it's not grandma. As most of you know, when a relative dies and they have no will, their possessions are divided equally amongst the family. My grandmother died of cancer when I was two years old. I don't remember much of the time we spent together, but from what I heard, she had a short and troubled life. My grandmother was succeeded by nine children, including my mother. Her assets were sorted through and given away. 
My mother had cared for my grandmother during her illness, and I think the strain of also having to take on her possessions kept her from accepting most of them at the time. When I was six, my aunt asked my mom if she was ready to take some of the things my grandmother had left behind, and my mother finally accepted. My sister and I were ecstatic. What little kid doesn't love having stuff to rummage through? And when the things arrived, my mother let us pick one thing each to keep. One thing in particular caught my eye. An old, light blue telephone that my aunt had told me I used to play with at my grandmother's house. I had to have it. Once my mother said it was okay, I took the phone to my room and played with it all day long. The rest of the day and night passed as it usually did. Dinner, bath time, and bed, all in short order. I still shared a room with one of my sisters then, Kara, and at bedtime we jumped in our bunk beds and began to relax. The phone was sat on my playstand where it had spent the whole day, along with some other toys. I had finally fallen asleep when a loud bleeding noise pierced my ears and I woke with a start. Kara woke up too and she didn't seem all that worried when, still partially asleep, she began to look for the source of the noise. It turned out that my new play phone was ringing. Remember, this phone had no cord, and even if it did, we didn't have a phone jack in our room. I guess it didn't register to Kara that the phone was fake because she picked up the receiver and said hello. A moment later, she dropped the phone, screamed for my mother, and ran to hold me in the bunk. The voice on the other end was my grandmother's, but it wasn't her demeanor. The voice was ill-tempered and seemed violent. All it kept repeating was, with a horrible laugh in between. That was pretty horrible. It kept up the laughing even after my mother bolted through the door. She took one look at the situation and immediately hung up the phone. She tried her best to calm us, but by this time, everyone in the house was awake and in our room asking what happened. All we could say was, Grandma's here, to which my mother replied, That was not your grandma. Needless to say, the next day my toy was destroyed. To this day, I'm not sure if it was her or not, but I do believe that my grandma is suffering somewhere due to the horrible events in her life and leading up to her death. And, you know, Paul, this has always kind of struck me because, one, it's a creepy story. I love, again, phones that shouldn't ring and do. <laughs> but how fucked up is it that this person goes, well, I don't know much in this world. You know, they're chewing, I picture them chewing a stalk of wheat. But I know that my grandmother is being punished for her behavior somewhere out there in, in hell. And like, what a fucked up thing to say about your family. <laughs> she had a hard life, so I know that she's in the lake of fire right now, suffering even more. What a dark take. <laughs> she was a witch and she deserved to be punished. Well, I, I'm kind of wondering, I mean, maybe this is one of those few situations, because we talk about how after someone passes, their, their personality kind of, you know, you'll, you'll leave a lot of it behind, right? It's like shuffling off a, a disguise. Uh, again, something else is actually handled really well on the black phone. But um, I wonder, maybe Granny was really a, an evil piece of shit. And she's just, she's now free of this mortal coil and she can terrorize whoever the hell she wants. <laughs> in, in that situation, maybe this woman has a whole series of stories which revolve around her grandmother tormenting her from the other side. And that's why she's like, boy, I hope a devil, a demon is poking her in the ass with a pitchfork right now because that old bitch had it coming. <laughs> Or maybe this is a whole new aspect of the paranormal where we've got spiritual prank calling. I would, I, again, I love that idea. You know, I mean, what, wasn't there some lunatic inventor who tried to create a spirit phone? Edison. Oh, was it, was it Edison? Hmm. What an interesting, wow. Okay. 
Now, I, I, <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. Yeah, Edison was obsessed. And Edison was obsessed with speaking to the other side, and that's where his, his um, scientific and engineering aspects of his life took him. He was, he was obsessed with it towards the end of his life. Maybe he was terrified of his own mortality, and that's why he was trying to create communication from the other side. But Edison was obsessed with creating the spirit form. Interesting. And now, again, I mean, obviously he didn't get there, but do you know much about the process he was going through? Like what his, what his thinking was? He was basically working on the principle, as, as I've said often before, that human beings are batteries, it's energy. Okay. And obviously it was all part of the spiritualism boom. So right. a cynical person may view it as yet another one of Edison's get, wick, get, wick, get rich quick schemes. Um, he may, as I'm sure allegations often are made about Edison's methods, that somebody sure. else invented it and he stole the idea, as right. he was prone to do as soon as he worked in the patent office. So who knows? But he was clearly deeply interested in the subject. But it's the end of the 19th century, early 20th century, spiritualism was everywhere by this point. But um, I mean, it's something that certain, obviously not much these days, but at that point, lots of the most learned people in the world were desperately trying to kind of move on from table tipping and Ouija boards and automatic writing and charlatans hiding in cupboards and only performing in darkened rooms and the like. Right. So they were trying to give it some kind of scientific rigor. And obviously the telephone being the most exciting invention of the late 19th century, really along with probably the, the, the advent of the cinema camera or film camera, probably the two greatest inventions of the last 15 years of the 19th century, I would suggest. They're certainly the two which have influenced my life more yeah. than anything else. <laughs> For better or worse. Yes. I mean, really, that's something that's survived to the present day, this, this idea that you know, paranormal investigators, like, they want to be taken seriously as scientists. Not all of them, but there, you know, there is definitely a group of that. You know, I know there's one particular host that springs to mind who's very, very keen on being recognized as sort of a citizen scientist. Yes. I think for a lot of them, the word, the word science is, is a very loose term. <laughs> to say the least. But on the other hand, there are a lot of rigorous scientists out there. But once again, we come to this stigma of being involved in the paranormal. I think a lot of people will be very, very surprised to realize just how many scientists and academics around the world are secretly squirreling away in the world of the paranormal. Oh, sure. I mean, well, I mean, Jack Parsons, you know, he, he was, uh, he was at Thelema. Was he a Thelemite? Yeah. And he, you know, he was working on rockets for the US government. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And look what happened to him. It, it all ended very well. If you don't know listeners, no, tell, uh, <laughs> tell them what happened to, to old Jack there, Paul. Uh, he blew himself up. Now, I will say this tends to happen to a lot of people who kind of work with things that explode, you know, mm. because eventually your luck run, you know, it is possible that your luck can run out. Yeah. It's a deeply interesting story, Jack Parsons, oh, especially, especially when he made pen pals with the Nazis. That I did not know. Yeah. The Nazis, he, he, was, he, was, uh, he was writing to German rocketeer engineers in the 30s, and essentially they were trying to tap him up for information about to see how far the Americans were going, getting ahead with rocketeering. Oh, wow. He, he, was, he was really switched on and he thought, yeah, this, this doesn't sound right. So he just started sending them loads of rubbish. <laughs> I'm not sure if he, come, if, he, if he spoke a lot with Von Braun, actually. 
Oh, really? Before Von Braun? Because Von Braun came over as part of Paperclip, right? He did indeed, yeah. He ended up, well, took over NASA, didn't he? Right, yeah, yeah. The reason the, reason the Americans got to the moon is because of Von Braun. Yeah. And you were saying that Von Braun, or sorry, you were saying that Parsons may have actually made contact with Von Braun before that. I think so. I think they were in communication in the 30s. I'm sure. Interesting. I'm sure there, there's some kind of parallel between them. I'm trying to think what I was, I think I was watching a documentary about the, the birth of the space race. And it mentioned Parsons, because obviously Parsons was a citizen scientist because he wasn't a rocketeer. He just became obsessed with blowing things up because he was always getting expelled from school from blowing things up in his class. I did not know he was a citizen scientist. Yeah, he, he, was, he was like, because um, his family were very well to do. His family were, were really rich and they lost everything during the Great Depression. Oh, okay. And they basically had to start from scratch. Um, and he just became obsessed with building rockets and rocketry and <laughs> exactly flammable material. <laughs> so it's a really interesting story. Dusty. This didn't happen to me, but happened to my dad. And he still can't explain it to this day. When my brother Billy was 14 or 15, he was on the swim team at high school and he had a best friend, Dusty. They'd been best friends since they were babies. Our parents and his parents were also really good friends and our dads worked together, but Dusty and Billy were inseparable. If you didn't know where one was, you had it all to do to find the other one. One night, whilst driving home from a swim meet, my dad received a call on the car phone, in those days before mobile phones. The caller was a co-worker, and as the call continued, my dad became more and more upset. After hanging up the phone, he told us that Dusty, who was not a swimmer and had been at home during the meet, had killed himself by hanging. My brother was on the swim team bus at the time, and so we weren't able to tell him until we picked him up from school that night and I'll never forget hearing him cry once he knew. Weeks later, after things had calmed down, something happened that we've never forgotten. My dad was laying in bed, just about to fall asleep, when the phone rang. He reached over to the night table, picked up the phone and answered. The voice on the other end was unmistakable. It was the same one my father had heard calling for Billy, day after day. It was Dusty. Is Billy there? My father couldn't quite comprehend what was happening. No, he replied. He's not right here now. Dusty, is that you? Dusty spoke again. Is he okay? My dad replied. Yeah, he's doing all right. And that was the end of it. The connection was broken. My dad is a huge sceptic and wouldn't make up a story like this, but he swears to this day that it was Dusty who called him that night. You know, Paul, I just like that story, and I don't have a lot to say about it. It's lovely, isn't it? It really is. You know, we, we had to choose, we, we had to cut a story, and I'm, I'm glad we, we cut the one we did, because this, this feels like a nice, hopeful note on which to end. Well, I often think as well, when we talk about grief and loss and people mourning their departed loved ones, I think often we underestimate that if we are to believe in the, in the afterlife and the possibility of ghosts and spirits, then why wouldn't they miss the people that they'd left behind. I don't disagree. I think that makes a lot of sense. All right, folks, I have tripped over my words several times in trying to record this. So I'm just going to say we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back.
Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now, because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now, and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it, and make a phone call, or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is one 456 4566. In the USA, the number to call is 1-800-273-8255. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass, and no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you, and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are, and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks, all what? Jesus. The train's going off the tracks here, Paul. <laughs> Thanks, as always, to Luke, Anthony, Sarah, and Joseph, and everyone else who's part of the Ghost Story Guys family. Don't forget to check out Luke Lore, now part of the Connected Podcasts Network. You can check that out anywhere you get your podcasts, and that is a short-form folklore podcast that Luke does every two weeks. Usually runs about 15 minutes long. It's a lot of fun, very informative. Check it out, again, anywhere you get your podcasts. Joseph hosts In Search of Ghosts on YouTube. And he and I also co-host the live stream Weird Together, which I think the next one will be happening in September. But you can find all the past shows at the Weird Together YouTube channel by following the link in the show notes. And finally, of course, thank you, my friend and co-host, the inimitable Paul Bestel, that paranormal Johnny Carson. Paul, what's coming up on Mysteries and Monsters? Oh, we've got all sorts coming. So currently this week, I will be joining Max Hawthorne as we head out on the high seas, searching for some of the most strange and unusual monster sightings that people have reported from all around the world, especially in your neck of the woods. Ooh, I do love learning about shit around me, because I need more reasons to be afraid of the natural world. (laughs) So yeah, and we've got some episodes coming up featuring Dogman, Bigfoot, and I finally broached the subject of the British Bigfoot in the company of my good friend, and 14 times author, Stu Neville. I am shocked. I am shocked that you were talking about British Bigfoot, Paul. Yeah, but we're, we're talking it in the way it needs to be spoken about. In hushed reverential tones, because it is real <laughs> and true. <laughs> in angry, dismissive voices. Okay, well, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're talking about the concept of it 
more in regards to the the variety of black shapes reported around the British Isles and we're working on the principle that if people are seeing what they're claiming, it's probably misidentification or is it the Fae deciding how to best show themselves to certain people? The caller you're trying to reach is not picking up on this line of inquiry. <laughs> Embrace them. Let them in. Oh, they're here already, but still, I don't like to push my luck. And where can everyone find you online? You can find Mysteries and Monsters on all podcast platforms. And Mysteries and Monsters is across all social media platforms as well. And the website is mysteriesandmonsters.com. Brilliant. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Largely the Truth. You can find my interview podcast, Largely the Truth with Brennan Store, everywhere fine podcasts live. And uh, my live stream, Weird Together, co-hosted with Joseph Camo. And that's again on YouTube. And you'll find a link to both those things in the show notes. As we said at the top of the show, if you want to become a patron, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We have all kinds of tiers with all kinds of physical and digital rewards. But the really, I think the big attraction is you get access to our weekly bonus shows, Host Adventures and Book of the Dead, plus our episodes of Me and Paul, The Sunken Library, lots of great stuff in the archive, dozens of hours of material, I believe at this point, I think something like 60, I think I counted. So tons and tons of great material. And you can get all of that at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. If you want to get in touch, shoot us an email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We're planning some listener story episodes for September and October, so we would love to hear from you. Again, that's ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We're also on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter as Ghost Story Guys. We are on Instagram as The Ghost Story Guys. And we are on Reddit as r slash podcast. But if you got a story to share, the best place to send it is either via email or via the ghost line. There's something strange in your neighborhood. We're gonna call Ghost Line. Call one triple eight five eight eight six nine two zero. That number is one triple eight five eight eight six nine two zero. Again, that's one triple eight five eight eight six nine two zero. You can leave your comment, question, or story as one or a series of voicemails. Currently, it times out at three minutes, but feel free to call back and leave part two and part three and part four and so on. And we have a number of calls queued up, and I'm really looking forward to sharing those on future shows. So again, that number is one triple eight five eight eight six nine two zero. All right. Well, as I mentioned before, our bumper music is composed and performed by Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is the project of composer and film journalist Jerry Smith. If you'd like to hire Jerry to make music for your project, shoot him an email at rainydaysforghosts at gmail.com. And if you want to hear more of his stuff, head over to his Bandcamp page at, you guessed it, rainydaysforghosts.bandcamp.com. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter of Pizzanta Music. Find more from him at nightharvestrecordings.com or by searching for Pizzanta Music wherever you get your tunes. Our stories theme is A Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by searching for Hexagram wherever you stream your music. And I guess that's going to do it. Well, we'll be back in two weeks from the future. But until then, into the darkness we go.
be interesting sometimes. Probably what's causing these dreams, actually. Well, you know, <laughs> I think we had that thought at the same time. <laughs> these are old Art Bell episodes. Wake up, butthead. Punk, sleep on your own time. <laughs> Wake up, loser! <laughs> Fuck your dreams. Fuck your dreams. Fuck your pillows. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, I'm not fucking doing that. Yeah, this, that's a trap. That's a trap is what that is. <laughs> you, you ever seen that gif of uh, Tom Hardy from Mad Max? That's bait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, sorry, my sister. Everything just froze oh, for a minute. Oh, okay. My system's just going to do it. All my screens just keep filling up. Oh, don't know what's going on. Technology, it's coming for us. In retrospect, this was a ballsy choice. <laughs> yes. Ghost Story Guys After Dark. Brennan tells us why he has the nickname The Windmill. <laughs> so it's heartwarming, dusty. Yes. My favorite female singer of all time, but I'm sure it's not the same person. <laughs> I, I doubt it, but you know, I, I get it. I'd be very impressed if it was a story about Dusty Springfield, but there you have it. Thank you to listening. Thank you. This has been... Oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, I've had an invader again. Furry fugitive? Yes. Bear with me. <laughs> yep. Of course, he decided to then position himself in the exact position where I couldn't fucking reach him. <laughs> <laughs> He's not new to this game. He's not stupid. The fluffy bastard. <laughs> I'm on mute and you can't hear me. So until then. <laughs> <laughs>